Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is episode 25. Great news. Stephanie Letourneau from episode 8 was able to fund the mindfulness curriculum for her classroom. She asked me to share her deepest thanks to all those who donated and to thank you from me as well. Speaking of news, registration for the parent groups closes on Monday, May 25th. This episode is posting on Friday, May 22nd. In the coaching groups, we'll be learning about how to use structure and systems to reduce stress, the role of emotions in ADHD and how to manage them, how to better communicate within the family and without, school included, developing social supports, the importance of self-care, and how to ask better questions. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more information and to get on the list. Space is limited. In today's episode, we're talking to Jack Gantos. Jack is the author of the Joey Pigs a Book series about a boy with ADHD. The first book of which, Joey Pigs a Swallowed the Key, is a National Book Award finalist and celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. We talk about why Jack chose to write a book about a boy with ADHD, how things have changed for kids with ADHD over the past 20 years, the importance of self-awareness, and why audiobooks are so great, especially in the summer. All right, let's get rolling. So you are the author of the Joey Pigs of Books. I am. The first of which is uh, Joey Pigs of Swallowed the Key. Yes which was a National Book Award finalist in 1998. Am I getting that correct? Yes, you are. And in having read the first book, I don't think Joey is ever actually named as having ADHD, but he certainly comes across like a kid with ADHD. I believe the word used in the book most often is wired, um, just sort of to indicate that he has a ton of energy and he's, there's a lot going on for him. Um, he could also have an adjustment disorder or a conduct disorder, anxiety. There's probably some trauma going on based on the story. Was your intention that he had ADHD or is it just sort of, is he sort of like a catch-all? He's more of a kid with ADHD. Mm-hmm. But when you, you read the book, when you, when, when you see Joey and then, then you see Joey with ADHD in the environment, which is a, a semi sketchy environment that he lives in with his coming and going family and things are a little erratic for him in in home life the question becomes has the adhd been exacerbated by the the kind of shabby tattered uh home life or has the home life you know really been the biggest problem altogether so they're almost uh, interconnected in a certain way. Part of what I do is I work with families who are affected by ADHD. Yes. And I kind of guide them through those challenges. So I help 
improve communication. I help improve strategies and structures. I help improve just how the day is set up for the kid in the morning and in the afternoon when they get home from school and those kinds of things. Certainly Joey Piggs' family could have benefited from someone like me, but it's even in that you kind of have the mom show up at first. He starts out with a grandmother and then mom shows up a little, not too deep into the book, but she comes in and starts to make some changes and we start to see some improvement. Um, and I really appreciate that the way that you show that the structure helps sort of navigate the ADHD challenges for Joey, at least a little bit. Yes. And, and also, you know, when the mother returns and, and we, we begin to get some stability in the daily life of Joey, then you begin to be able to put a lens on that family and say, okay, now that this, now that the home life is stable, there's a little bit more stability within Joey himself. And then we can, um, then the diagnosis for Joey and his ADHD can be a little bit more refined and, and purified. So we know what he does have and what he doesn't have. What is fear and anxiety and what is just simply, well, not just simply, but what is more defined as ADHD. And I think that really makes a, makes a big difference in that book. And in fact, that's sort of a turning point in that book. A good, solid diagnosis is a turning point. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, because then we've defined our sandbox, right? We know. Yes. We know what the boundaries are for behavior and for interventions and those, those sorts of things. Yes. That's what you don't see in the beginning. And then later on, you do see it. And then you can then define the changes. What made you want to write about a kid like Joey? What made you want to, what made you want to tackle ADHD? When I was growing up, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I moved, let's say I moved, I went to 10 schools in 12th grade. So we, we moved a fair amount. Wow. in different neighborhoods and different schools and situations. And it seemed to me that every class I was ever in, and this is in the late 50s and 60s, every class that I was in, there was always a kid like that in my class or a kid like that in the neighborhood. And uh, they were always active kids and uh, very frisky kids and very funny kids. and. Uh, would get into a little bit of trouble sometimes. But the thing that, that stuck with me the most was they were the friendliest kids. So that I would always be that kid coming in in the middle of the school year. Or if I was starting at a new school, I would always meet these really great kids like Joey Pigza, who were interested in who you were and asked questions and would just thought wonderful things and let's do this and what do you think about that? And, and they were easy to make friends with. They were fast friends. And then I began to know them not so much as for their troublesome aspects. I knew them as a kid for their humanity, for their interest in me, for, for their friendship. And so even though they may have acted out in class, even though I knew they got in trouble, even though I knew maybe they came from a rough home life, I also saw within them a great friend. And in that friendship, I think I saw perhaps a little bit of a shadow of myself of wanting to be a good friend too. So later on, when um, I'd written uh, the picture books, the Rotten Ralph picture books, and I'd written some of the autobiographical short story books, uh, the Jack Henry books, and then uh, I started speaking in schools. 
I started getting calls from schools that wanted me to work with kids and work with uh, writing stories. And, and I have a, a teaching background. And so um, I would go in and, and, and work with kids. And sure enough, poof, all those kind of my old Joey friends from growing up were still in school and they were still friendly and they were, they were still, you know, interesting and they still had big hearts and were kind of juicy and funny and, and just a little bit wacky and just a little bit going too far with every joke and every situation and, and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, I saw them again and I thought, these are great kids. And they were great kids to me as a writer, too, because on the outside of Joey's life, plenty, plenty of opportunity for great action and involvement and engagement in the physical world. But the books would be nothing, really nothing at all. And I wouldn't even have dared to write them if a kid like that doesn't have a huge interior life, a great heart and a great soul and a great humor and a great friendship. And a great need and love to love other ones as well. And so I thought, yeah, I've got to, I've got to dive deep into these kids and see the, the goodness on the inside so that they aren't always judged by the mistakes they make on the outside. Yeah, and this is really a labor of love for you. It was. Like you love these kids. I do love these kids. And I see them all the time. Every, every year I do. I visit between 40 and 50 schools every year. And I would say that 75% of the schools want me to come in and, and talk about these books because they read them in the classroom and then we get to have a really good talk about them. And for my listeners, I can't tell you how blown away I was with how much truth I found in these books. I mean, it just, and I mean, things are turned up a little bit for the sake of having a fiction book that has enough conflict in it. And Jack, I don't know that I've told you this, but my listeners know I'm a former middle school English teacher. So like, this is my jam. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, my listeners are listening for the sake of the ADHD. So I'm trying to rein in like the geeky English teacher side of me and not go totally like, but what about this part of the book? Um, And also I Mm. want them to read it and, and sort of get that experience for themselves but i i my wife got me um joey pigs as well as the key the first book from the library because she insists she's like let's just just get the books at the library and i was like i think i should buy this one i'm interviewing the author she's like well i just i just grabbed it here i'm like all right so i read the first three pages i think and i put it down and i was yeah. like this back to the library i have to buy it and she was like why yeah. i was like because i'm not allowed to write in a library book and there's already like I already have to reread the three, first three pages because I need to take notes. There's just so much in there that reminds me of clients and reminds me of former students and reminds me of me as a kid. Mm. Um, and so I really want to compliment you on that, on, on just how, how true it rings. That had a, had a lot of meaning for me as a reader. From the, from the writer's point of view, and thank you for those comments, when I first started writing this book, even though I had the best of intentions, I started writing it in the third person about Joey in the third person. And I got about halfway in that book and I, I thought I'm doing a horrible job. 
I said, I'm just writing about the outside of this kid. I couldn't, I really felt as though I was just writing a sort of cheap disease du jour kind of book. And I was using a kid for that reason. And, and the ADHD was the main character and Joey was just the, you know, cargo bearer of the book. And, and honestly, I was, I, I woke up, I was in some town and I was on a tour and I, and I put the book aside. I just put it aside. And then I took one more crack at it and I wrote it. I said, let me write it from his point of view, not from mine, but from his. And then I changed, I started writing it from the first person point of view. And you know, that first chapter you're talking about, mm -hmm. about when he's talking about being wired. Yeah. You know, some people say I'm wired mad or sad or glad, but I'm definitely wired. You know, when, when I started to get that voice and it was his voice, then it, the book shifted gears, shifted focus. And it was about a kid with ADHD rather than ADHD with a kid. And that made all the difference in the world. So that first person voice belongs to him. And as a result of that, when I speak in schools, the kids come up to me and they, they know that voice. They go, I am that voice. They own that voice. They know that inner voice. Now that I'm thinking about it, that kind of echoes my first question of, is it ADHD? Like what's really going on here? That sort of uncertainty that I had. That's not really my uncertainty. That's Joey's uncertainty because I read this book from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And those kids that have ADHD, some of them are like, I don't know, like my, my parents say I have ADHD, but I don't know what that means. Well, Joey was just got, you know, he just has that word like wired. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, you know, nobody's going, you have ADHD. Right. This is like, I'm wired. Yeah. I'm just wired. I'm just a little different. I'm a little different. We did have some meds. They wore off, you know, at lunchtime, you know, and then I was just, you know, my nervous wreck sort of self again, mm -hmm. my unrelenting self again. And right. so he knows, he knows and has some language to describe himself, but he doesn't know the solutions. He just knows the symptoms. I want to point something out to my listeners right now because you mentioned the meds wearing off at like lunchtime, which they might be going, that's really early. Like my kids on extended release. The book is written and was written or at least was published in 1998. It's 20th anniversary is this year. Yes. Which makes it all the more of an honor to have you on the show. It's an honor to be a part of the celebration of the 20th anniversary of this book um, and, and of Joey. I'm curious about sort of the research that went into it because it does ring so true. Did, how did you learn more about ADHD to be able to accurately portray it like this? Is that just experiential stuff or did you speak with professionals? What did that look like? I also had um, a kind of a dual research path with this book because one, I had, you know, I had my own anecdotal experience going into schools, knowing kids, but then, you know, I thought, well, you know, you're getting ready to lay down some tracks about something that is very important, about a condition, and you need to know something more. So I did two things. One, I went, uh, at that time, I was living in, uh, in New Mexico, in Albuquerque. And uh, I went to, and I was teaching at the University of New Mexico for a while. So um, I did two things there. One, I went to their fabulous bookstore and other really fabulous bookstores. And 
and got as many books as I could on on dealing with ADHD and methods uh, to approach kids with ADHD, what to look for, how to treat, what medications are available. And then I also went and talked to several doctors about ADHD medications and and symptoms and so forth. And then I took the book knowledge and the uh, professional knowledge, and I sort of parsed that so that um, that I knew what we were dealing with. So when you say that the book is you know is twenty years old, so when Joey say, says his meds wear off at noon, that early Ritalin that they were that they were using, the Ritalin was not time release as it as they can have today. Plus, they have so many other medications today. They've really fine tuned it, and they've they've brought so much more to it. It's it's no longer just a one size fits all kind of medication at right. this point. Where 20 years ago, which does not sound all that long, but 20 years ago, um, I think they were using more of a sledgehammer effect than than really fine tuning it. And even in, I mean, even in the behavioral supports and academic supports that we see in the book, sort of the way that that the teachers interact with Joey, it's still kind of that sledgehammer approach because special education has evolved pretty considerably in the last 20 Huge. years. It's huge. Yeah. And as I was researching this book, I came across a little bit of controversy here and there with special education teachers who were saying like, this is not how we teach kids. We don't, we don't send the kid with ADHD out to roll the windows up in the cars because it's going to rain, which is something that happens with Joey. Yeah. And that's because it's 20 years ago. Like a lot has changed. And I'm sure even 20 years ago, there were teachers who would never have done that. But you're more likely to encounter teachers who wouldn't know how to handle a kid like Joey in an effective way. Exactly. And, you know, I, I have to say, you know, sometimes I go to school systems with newer schools and they have you know, dedicated facilities. They have dedicated personnel. They have teacher training for this, you know, ADHD. I provide those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of schools now, there are layers of, of training and layers of professionals to provide pinpoint analysis and then to go from analysis to really, really edging into just the right medications, if at all. That has improved immensely. But I will say when I was writing Joey Pizza, those schools, there was not special education. And these schools, you would walk into these schools and, and the school would say, Built in 1880, and and then it would it would look like a, a a stone fortress. It would have two staircases, one for the girls, one for the boys. The cafeteria, what cafeteria? The kids were eating in the hallways or down in the boiler room, and so there was no special ed room. There was there was no extra training. There were 40 kids per classroom. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, some of these places were still pretty rough. And I have to tell you, they're still pretty rough today in certain areas that I travel through. So we have a tremendous wave of enlightenment and a tremendous wave of educational involvement with these kids, but not everywhere. There are still plenty of dark shadows. Oh, sure. I've worked in those dark shadows. Actually, my first teaching gig, my kids ate lunch in the classroom. They didn't have a cafeteria for those kids to eat lunch in. They ate lunch in the classroom. 
and they didn't yeah. have a playground to go outside and play in. So they played in the gym if the gym was available or they played in the classroom. So I've, I've seen those schools um, and I understand what you're talking about because that was, that was 10 years ago. But it has, it has, it has immeasurably gotten better and teachers are so much more, they get a lot more training in school, you know, with their undergraduate, they get training in the system itself, you know, sort of sensitivity training, but not just sensitivity training. They also get kind of training where you describe a kid to yourself and then you talk about that kid in, in a group. You, you can get a counselor in and you can, you can put together um, sort of, to use that word special, I don't always mean to use it, but you can put together, let's call it a, a distinct or an individual um, approach to teaching that kid. And then that kid can be also included in class, but then sort of rotated out for some special situations. And so you go into these schools now and the level of sophistication, which is functioning in the school is, is brilliant and it's very healthy. And, and in fact, you know, it, it might be the healthiest part of some kids' days. I completely agree with you because I've also been in those schools and even in the school where the kids ate lunch in my classroom for some of those kids, it was, that was their safe spot. That was their safe place. Yep. And certainly in, in the Joey pigs of books, at least the first one school in a lot of ways is his safe zone because home life is oh, hard and home so. life is challenging, particularly before mom comes back into the picture. I appreciate that the systemic is not the right word, but the sort of generational aspect of ADHD and how you depict it. If the, mom and dad, or in this case, grandma has ADHD and doesn't have the structures and skill set in place to effectively parent a kid with ADHD because they're having enough trouble keeping themselves under control and managed. Those lack of skills continue on down to the kid. He or she suffers from the lack of skills that the parents or grandparents have. And, and the flexibility of expectations on a kid. You know, it's in some generations, you, you either listened and were a good kid and did what you were told, or if you didn't, you sort of, the needle went the other way, that you were resistant, you were rebellious, and you were bad. You know, when Joey, when Joey is up against that grandmother, the anxiety level is so high, you don't know whether he has ADHD or whether he's just in a bad family situation. But if you put both of those things together, that's when you get that early Joey. Later on, when we start taking out the anxiety, then you kind of get the sense of, oh, this is like the nice kid, Joey, and he just needs some medication, or he just needs some counseling, or he just needs some friendship, and he needs some understanding. And now he's calming down. Now he's got concentration. Now he's functional. Now he's you know, in the flow. Right. So there's, there's hope. <laughs> in that character. And the hope is brought in by a lot of the adults, the teachers, the counselors, the parenting. Yeah. Particularly as they start to figure out what they're up against and start to learn new strategies or, or new characters come in who have strategies that other characters don't. Um, it's really well done. For my listeners, I want to make sure that they're clear. Joey Pigs, A Swallows the Key is the first book in the Joey Pigs, A series, which then continues. Yeah. There are four more. By the time you get to the the later books, mm -hmm. we're not even 
really talking about ADHD and meds so much. Now we're just talking about family dynamic. Okay. You'll see how that arc works. That when we go from the early Joey, the first two books, um, Swallowed the Key and Loses Control, you really get a lot more focus on on analysis and uh, and medication and and you know family life. And then later on, then you move more into uh, anxiety of from family life, and you see that Joey really um, is more troubled with anxiety than he is with ADHD. And and we know that to be true for lots of people with ADHD. That's that's often a tough hair to split when it comes to navigating a kid who has an ADHD diagnosis and is also suffering from anxiety, which is like 98% of them. Yeah. And it becomes a question of, do we treat the ADHD first and hope that helps with the anxiety? Or do we treat the anxiety first and hope that makes it easier to treat the ADHD? You really put your finger on it right there. Um, and because I also end up speaking to a lot of parents and parent groups mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what they're trying to figure out too. Right. Is my kid just, you know, driven by the fuel of anxiety and should I go to medication or is the medication just going to blind me to understanding the anxiety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on this podcast, when it comes to that question, I often throw in a curveball and I say, start building skills. Medication mm-hmm. is your call. Do it or don't do it, whatever you want to do, but make sure you're, you're using that medication to build skills around ADHD, anxiety, or both so that we can mm-hmm. dig out of that hole. Yeah. And so you can really tether out a good diagnosis and, and, and feel comfortable, you mm-hmm. know, that, okay, you can, you can see it point by point and try and manage it point by point. Um, rather than, you know, that, well, just throw, throw medication at it or just, you know, let the kid, you know, like deal with the anxiety. Right. Just be anxious. And some kids are really just very anxious. Absolutely. And maybe they just need some really good counseling. Maybe they just need some adjustments in their family life. You know, so there's no one size fits all on this. When I work with my clients, I'm like, well, from what you've told me, let's start here. And I'm not making any guarantees like that. It might work great. It might not work at all. It might work halfway and we have to try something else. But let's start with this and see what happens. Let's give it a month. I usually ask my clients to, I'm like, just mm-hmm. treat it like an experiment. Let's go for a month and see what happens. Yeah. And like even Joey recognizes it himself later, later on as the books go along. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that once the family has more routines, and once he manages expectations, you know, he's so much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he knows what he has to do. He knows what he has to achieve. He has assistance in, in achieving it. And uh, he, he feels known when he has a problem. He feels like, you know, he can say, I have a problem and people understand it and uh, provide, help provide solutions. So he becomes more articulate about who he is and how he can explain his functionality or dysfunctionality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and on the other side, then people, because Joey's articulate, then on the other side, the counseling and parenting can be just as articulate in figuring out solutions. Yeah, that self-awareness just, is enormous. It's huge. It's just huge. 
you know, I mean, if you ask a kid, what is wrong with you? And the kid says, I don't know. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, I mean, we need to, you just need to get some language going in there so that the kid becomes more self-aware and become and then he becomes part of the solution. The, the parents aren't just the solution and the counselor isn't just the solution that the kid, too, is part of the solution. And, yes. and and just think how that how good that must feel if you're a kid that you're not always going I need help. You can also say to yourself, "Remember, you learned this, so let's do it this way." You know, so the kid can provide solutions. What confidence that builds in a kid! Oh, certainly. Now you mentioned that sort of as the story progresses, as the series continues, and I understand yeah. that you have another Joey Pigza book that's coming out. So it's a it's a audible book. It's an original audible Joey Pigza book titled The Dented Head of Joey Pigza. And it will be released on Audible September 18th. Awesome. And it's just great. It's just great Joey stuff. The best of that character on the inside. And I love the fact that it's on Audible. I love the fact that it's a book to listen to. And is it exclusively yeah. on Audible? It's not going to be written down and published as a paperback? Not for the first six months. Okay. So Audible has uh, an exclusive on it for six months. I, I just love and it then. that it's coming out in that way because we so often want to encourage kids to read and sometimes ADHD kids are better reading with an audio book than they are with a paper book. This yeah. is a great way to sort of reinforce that for our population. That's awesome. I think so too. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because the the five Joey books that are out, I recorded all of those as well. Mm -hmm. And I get, I don't know, maybe a thousand, two thousand letters a year. And the kids uh, do remark that they listen to it. You know, they, they might have it at home or they might have it at library time or they might even have it at class. You know, like, well, listen to 15 minutes of it. And they love it. You know, the teacher might have it playing while they're doing another activity, you know, a quiet activity. I completely agree. And, and for the parents listening who, I mean, we're rolling into summer vacation. If you're driving, if you're taking a road trip, grab a Joey Pigs book on Audible, CD or whatever's appropriate, and just listen to that as you go where you're going with your kids. It'll keep them engaged. It gives you something to talk about afterwards. It becomes a piece of the memory of that trip. Audiobooks are awesome that way. I think so too. And it, it, you know, it gives you the, the best sort of triangle shape experience. You know, you listen to it and then the parent and the child can converse. Everybody gets a piece of it. You know, you don't have to like have your kid read it and then have the kid regurgitate it to you. You become part of the reading of it simultaneously with the kid. The conversation just advances so much more quickly. And, and the fact that it's equally paced, right? Because sometimes, sometimes you want to read a book with your kid and that maybe there's one copy, so you read it and then they read it, but then there's a lag between when you can talk about it. <laughs> or you both have a copy and you're a grown-up. You probably read faster than your kid unless you're really regimented about, we're only reading chapter one today and we'll talk about chapter one and treat it more like a book club. But if it's the least bit informal... You're going to have some delay between one person finishing and the, and the other person finishing. And then that can affect the conversation. It can affect, um, I've had 
sometimes where kids got frustrated because the adult finished faster and then the kid felt like they weren't reading fast enough. No need for that kind of pressure. An audio book, you're reading at the same time. No, you can read those. Um, you can get them on like libraries. I check them out like Playaways. That's like one book. The size, I don't know, it's like the size of a matchbox. Put it on the inside pocket, pop in the earpiece, and you're just walking around. You know, it's sort of glowing because you've got this book going on on the inside. Right. I go to the gym. I always have an audio book mm-hmm. and, a, and a notebook, you know, because I'm doing it. You know, if I'm doing bike work or whatever I'm doing on the rowing machine or if I'm doing stuff out in the yard, if I'm working on the roof deck or I'm in my garden, you know, it's a great companion. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, yeah, um, I want to disconnect from Joey for a minute, sort of plug into Jack if I can, because I, I just have to ask you about your amazing childhood, I guess. And I, I didn't live mm. it, so I don't know how amazing it is, but the stories that I've read um, and the briefly when we spoke prior to this interview starting, I mean, you, you went to junior high in a converted prison you hung out in an abandoned bookmobile. Like you've lived the I'm going to be an author <laughs> childhood if ever I've heard of one. Can you talk a little bit about just what that was like? Maybe share a story or two with, with us? Born in Western Pennsylvania and then went to first grade there. Then my dad rejoined the Navy. We went down to Barbados. I did uh, a couple different schools down there in religious schools. Then boom, left Barbados dropped into uh, South Miami Elementary halfway through, like fifth grade. Then from there, we moved up to Fort Lauderdale, and I went to a school that was just eight portables and a lot of sand. The boys' and girls' bathroom was a portable that had been sawed in half <laughs> and, wow. and then walled on either side. And then, and then the, the office and a flagpole. We had a, a playground that was just sand. And we called it the Sahara Desert. And we would go out there and play Sahara games. And then then seventh and eighth grade, uh, we had to go to a junior high. Now, South Florida was, was, people were moving down like crazy. They couldn't keep up with building schools and hospitals or anything. And so they were finding used buildings. So there had been uh, World War II barracks uh, for the Air Force at the old Fort Lauderdale Airport. And so there were barracks. And then they had been used, the barracks had been transformed into a prison. And then from the prison, it went into, I had a year of uh, middle school. Well, we called it junior high. <laughs> and, wow. You know, it's nice to have a school with double fences and concertino wire. Around them. <laughs> <laughs> so, gives you that good school feeling. And Holy then, cow. And, and then they, they finally built some other schools. And, and by the time I ended up uh, my senior year in high school, then uh, I went to a um, a new school, in Plantation High School. It's sort of a rangy life, you know. And I could be a great student at one school, and then I could be a terrible student at another school. Oh, I'm sure. It, it was always always about the love. It was always about the love. If I loved my teacher, I would work like a demon. Mm-hmm. And if I just felt that I was pushed out somewhere on the outside. You know, I just sort of sank into myself. And moving is hard for a kid regardless because, especially back then, prior to sort of the nationalized education structure that we have now, I'm sure you yeah. would roll into a school and they'd be talking about stuff and you had no idea. 
Man, math was the worst. <laughs> the math and science was the worst. Because, you know, with, with English, you know, I was a reader. So, you know, you could always, you're always up to date. But with math, you'd miss, you know, a whole section or they were using different textbooks or they were doing algebra when, or geometry and you, and you had no basis for it, you know, swimming against the tide in some of those cases. Humanities were okay. The sciences and math were terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I moved between fourth grade and fifth grade. So I feel for you with, with moving so much. I can only imagine if it's even more than I did. I had some low supervision years there too. Because mm-hmm. my, you know, my senior year in high school, um, I lived mostly on my own. Okay. And so my my parents had moved to Puerto Rico, and I just wanted to finish up school. And then I I lived on my own. I have to say, I you know, I think that's when uh, all my uh, my my decision making blunders were <laughs> were really <laughs> obvious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So you're independent a little and, bit before you are ready, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And, I, and, you know, when I look back on it, I think, how could I just, you know, I managed to get through everything and then just fell apart once I was on my own. And I thought, well, that's, that's because I really never developed any skills, like that kind of internal breakage skill where you, Jack, is that a good idea? No. Well, then don't do it, Jack. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, that part of me was not fully developed. I think the frontal cortex was was missing. Well, you're on the right podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> finally, I went to college. I finally, you know, I had a little rough period there between uh, high school and college. But then when I went to college, I went for creative writing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started publishing uh, my second year in college. I got a BFA in creative writing. I uh, wrote that first Ron Ralph book that Nicole Rubel illustrated, and we got that published. So by the time I got out of undergrad, I had about three books published. And then, you know, the one thing I'll say about writing is that it's discipline-based. I mean, you have to set goals for yourself. You have to be on task. You have to do your reading, do your writing, do your rewriting. And so now I've published 50 books. So when I look back on it, I, you know, when I look back on myself in, in reverse, I can see somebody who's now fairly adept at, you know, mental discipline and discipline in life and running a good life to being a kid that, you know, had a lot of struggle kind of getting the skills to run a good life. Mm-hmm. I was a kid that did not need ADHD or did not need medication, but I was a kid that could have used some really good counseling. And I mean, you made it, clearly. I did. So that's good. Joey Pigs to Swallow the Key is great. I have no doubt that the rest of the series is equally great just from having read the first book and also having spoken with you. I will finish the series over the course of the summer. That's a, that's a goal I've set, but I've had some other books I've had to read in the meantime. Sure. And just thank you for writing them. Thank you for, for putting ADHD out there front and center in the land of fiction. I appreciate it. And, and for your work in schools as well. Oh, thank you. And I'll, I'll tell you just one last little thing. Sure. In those letters that I get, like the 1,000, 1,500 letters I get from, from kids that are reading that book in, the, in their classroom, I would say that half of those letters are from kids that don't have ADHD. And they write 
and they say, we have a kid like Joey in our class that we did not understand. And now we do. And now we're making a better effort to be good friends with them or her. And so it gives the Joeys out there a chance in the classroom for other kids to realize that that's a real kid that has an issue, but has a heart and soul like every other kid in the classroom. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.